on spiritual disciplines. And my Bible is upside down. That's not going to help. Uh, that'll make for an interesting sermon. Um, so far in this series, we have talked about the ways that we're always on the search for the most epic and amazing how we want life hacks and secret magic bullets uh, in order to get us the best shortcut to the best life ever. Um, but ultimately, what leads to success is a life of consistent, healthy discipline. Uh, we then began to lay out what some of those disciplines were. Um, we talked about the importance of the daily study and meditation in God's Word, that, that we need to engage both the head and the heart, and that we need to build uh, every single day on the right foundation. And so the specific challenge <clears throat> in that uh, particular message was to uh, have Scripture before our phones each morning, to, to read the Bible before we engage with technology. Uh, then we talked about the importance of prayer, um, that prayer is the way that the Holy Spirit guides us, that prayer is how we stay connected. You need something? Um, prayer is what equips us with the Word of God, that it's uh, the ongoing conversation that never ceases between close friends. And the specific challenge that I laid out in that particular message was kneeling prayer thrice daily. I just like to use the word thrice. Uh, uh, so there's something to be said about aligning the body and the soul, the physical and the spiritual. Um, and so it is kneeling uh, uh, to pray three times a day. And hopefully you've begun to um, implement these daily habits into your life. And if not, it's not too late. Start tomorrow. Um, last week we took a break from talking about specific disciplines and went over the proper mindset behind carrying them out. And so we talked about how this is not a checklist. You know, it's not about having five easy steps to becoming a better Christian. Uh, it's not meant to just make you a better person. Um, it's meant to facilitate closeness with God. And so we talked about how Christianity is not about what we do. It is about what Christ has done. He has already won uh, every victory, and we need to trust Him and walk in obedience. So these spiritual disciplines are meant to aid us in that process. So today, we'll move on to our next spiritual discipline, which is accountability. Um, we'll get to the importance of accountability in a number of areas, um, but just from the outset, um, I want to reiterate something that I have said earlier in the series, and that is that you are far more likely to succeed in your goals when someone else is with you, when someone else joins you. Um, in, the, in the midst of trying to implement new habits in our lives, right, the uh, the American Society of Training and Development found in one particular study that people are 65% likely to meet a goal when they commit to another person, but their chances of success increase to about 95% when they are having ongoing meetings with a partner who is pursuing the goal along with them. So 95% uh, likely to succeed when that happens. So again, you are far more likely to be successful in implementing these healthy habits if you are doing them with a friend. So I'll use an example from the military. 
The military is better than any organization out there at making very simple things into very complex things. Right? They are masters at, at making things complicated. They thrive in something that is one step, uh, taking that and making it 50 steps, and each one of the 50 steps has an obscure acronym to go along with it. Um, but every so often, the military will come up with ideas that greatly improve efficiency. And one such concept was the battle buddy system. Somewhere about 30-ish years ago, uh, the, the U.S. Army sought to find a way to reduce suicides, sexual abuse, other negative actions carried out by individuals. And so their answer to this was the battle buddy system. And this begins right away in basic training. As soon as someone begins in basic training, they're immediately assigned a partner. The partner is usually chosen by the platoon sergeant, and typically they will choose someone who is from a completely different background. And so from that point on, that person is your assigned best friend, for lack of a better term. And you do everything together. Battle buddy teams are required um, during all formal or informal training events, all details, all activities. Basically, you and this person are joined at the hip. The only exceptions to this are when a person has an individual appointment or gets sick or goes to chapel. If you're ever without your battle buddy in a required scenario, it will result in administrative action. Battle buddies are meant to look out for each other. There's always someone who is watching your back. It's meant so that you are never alone. If you begin to struggle in any way, physically, emotionally, you have someone there with you. Truthfully, it's, it's pretty brilliant. Soldiers have responded very positively to the system, and, and there have been many benefits that have been demonstrated. For one, it makes sure that there's no loners. You know, uh, no one is ever left out because of this. Another benefit is that it makes leadership a bit easier um, because soldiers are taking care of each other without any sort of need for intervention. It also reduces shenanigans uh, because someone is less likely to throw caution to the wind when it would bring someone else down with them. And so studies have shown that because of the battle buddy system, there's been a reduction in suicides and sexual assaults. Soldiers are more likely to retain instructions and information. There's an increase in problem solving, morale and confidence, a reduction of stress and an improvement in safety. Not that there aren't any disadvantages, of course. But interestingly, one of the disadvantages that has been noted by soldiers is this, that it, quote, requires the commitment of caring for another person. It's pretty interesting. That's an actual quoted disadvantage taken from surveys of actual soldiers. It's almost like they're saying, hey, listen, uh, love the system, uh, great system, love what you're doing. The problem is, I don't want to care about anyone besides me, and I don't really want to be involved in anyone else's mess. You're in the military. <laughs> Isn't that all you do? That's the entire point. It, it seems silly, but it illustrates something that is true for all of us, and that is... We don't really want to take care of anyone else. 
we really don't want anyone else taking care of us. We want to be independent and self-sufficient. And the battle buddy system requires that you know someone at a deep level, not just surface level. It requires that you pay attention to them, serve them, put them before yourself, and that is hard. Not only, again, does it require that you care about somebody else, it requires that you are allowing someone else to care for you. So it requires humility on both parties. And that is where things get very difficult. And I would submit to you that the same is true for spiritual accountability. I believe that God has designed us for community. Like the military, we're meant to be a part of a unified army. We're meant to be a part of a local unit. We're meant to be a part of a smaller platoon. And we are meant to have a battle buddy. There should be no one doing this alone. But setting ourselves up with healthy accountability will require the commitment of caring for another person and allowing someone else to care for you. So we're going to be in a a bunch of different places in Scripture today, but we're going to start in Romans 12. So Romans 12, verses 1 through 5. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. So, if you're taking notes, here's point number one. You don't belong to you. You do not belong to you. So before we can specifically get to accountability, we first have to establish a foundational truth to build upon. We can't even talk about how to care for one another or have someone else care for you until you first uh, talk about the biggest obstacle to accountability, and that is pride. The simple fact is we don't want to be accountable to anybody. In America, we are bred to be completely independent. We're told to to believe that you are the master of your own destiny. You are your own boss. You are the center of your own universe. No one tells you how to live your life. Nobody has the right to point out things uh, in your life that need to change. Not a chance. Nobody gets to decide except you. And if anyone tries to butt in, they're just control freaks. And surely they don't care about you. How dare anyone suggest that you have to answer to anyone else? That is our mindset. The problem is it doesn't line up with Scripture. You're not designed to be the master of your life. And no one should understand this more than followers of Christ. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20 tells us, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. 
You are, we are, what Kirk Franklin named his gospel choir, God's property. This is why Paul begins Romans 12 with this admonishment, to present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual act of worship. So the first step that we need to come to is is coming to a place where we are walking sacrifices. That means we recognize that Jesus laid down his life to purchase us from hell and death. And the only right response to that is to lay down our lives at his feet. That means he's the boss. He's the master. The word that we typically use is he is Lord. Every single one of us has used that word, even to just refer to Jesus in passing uh, as the Lord. Well, in Greek, that word is kurios. And here's how the word kurios is defined. He to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has the power of deciding. Master, the possessor and disposer of a thing, the owner, one who has control of a person. That is what it means to call him Lord. It is to call him the owner and master of your life, which is exactly what he is supposed to be. We are not our own. We were bought at a price. Therefore, we must honor God with our bodies and our lives. And the way that we do that is to take the ownership that we think we have over our lives and lay that down at the altar. And give ourselves completely to God. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. The first step we take is saying, God, I belong to you. I answer to you. Direct me however you will. And to do that, we have to set aside our pride. This is why Paul says in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I know that I am guilty of this all the time. Thinking of myself more highly than I ought. More than likely, we are all guilty of that all the time. In order to submit ourselves to God, we have to have a humble, sober view of ourselves. Look at what he says next in verses 4 and 5. As in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. So according to this verse, we don't just belong to God, we belong to each other. I actually like the way that the verse is written in the New International Version, which reads, So in Christ, we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So, when we compare that with what we just established, that we belong to God, admittedly, this is a harder pill to swallow. We, we might be able to stomach the thought of being completely submitted to God. Uh, he is God, after all, and He did die for us. But to give ourselves completely to each other, 
That is a different story. None of you are God, and I don't even like most of you. Kidding, of course. But this is why many of us fall into a mindset that says, all I need is Jesus. All I need is Jesus. We, we understand that Jesus is Savior, and so we need Him, and, and we acknowledge our assent, and we go about following Him privately. Uh, listen to a sermon online every so often, pray when we feel like we need to pray, maybe put a Jesus bumper sticker on the car, perhaps every so often in conversation admit that we believe in God. But being deeply connected to the church in vulnerable community, whew, that is much harder. We say, no thanks, I can follow Jesus on my own. Thank you very much. But the problem is... That goes against the Bible. All over Scripture, we are reminded that we are saved in order to be a part of a body that functions as a unit. Every part relying on the other parts. No one as a lone ranger. We belong to Jesus and we belong to each other. You are designed to be a part of the body. Some of us are ears, some of us are eyes, some are arms or legs or hands or feet. Some seem to be armpits. But for us to uh, attempt to follow Jesus like a lone ranger would be like a dismembered leg trying to function as a body all on its own. And, And that simply doesn't work. We're not designed for that. We are not our own. So, with that being established, we can begin to look at what accountability actually looks like. So we'll start with a wide view, and then we'll begin to zoom in closer as we go along. So here's point number two um, of a two-point sermon. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? Point number two, accountability is like an onion And each layer is more powerful. What's that? That's that's true as well. So I'm sure all of us have cut onions before. Um, And onions are fascinating because of their structure. They are layers, layer upon layer, grown on top of each other. I'm sure it's also true for most of us that we've probably cried while cutting onions. And science tells us that it's because onions, when they're cut, release a chemical irritant into the air, and that chemical irritant gets into our eyes and begins to cue the waterworks. And there are lots of ways that people try to limit uh, those onion-related tears. All of you probably have your own favorite method, uh, using a sharp knife, or cutting an onion while your mouth is full of water, or chopping with your eyes closed, uh, whatever it might be. Um, Allison came into the kitchen one day and found me cutting onions while I was wearing snowboarding goggles. And uh, can you believe that she made fun of me? She walked in and was like, what are you doing? Uh, Isn't she mean? Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Wearing goggles is a scientifically proven method. It works. 
okay, and look up any article online about how to stop crying while cutting onions, and one of the suggestions made is goggles, okay? So, Allison, stop judging me. But you know what the easiest way is to prevent crying while cutting onions? is to remove the core. The chemical irritant is strongest in the core of the onion. In the core, more of that chemical has been absorbed. So, if you take it out, all you are left with are residual effects. The power of the onion is in the core of the onion. The deeper you get into the onion, the stronger your discomfort. If you stay out on the surface, you really won't be affected that much. But the closer you get to the middle, the more tears you will cry. The same is true with our relationships in the church. As long as all we do is hang out on the edges, we won't be affected very much. But the closer we get to the core, and the deeper our relationships become, the more power we will experience, and the more tears we will probably cry, in a good way. So, sort of like an onion, Scripture lays out a number of layers of accountability, and over the next few minutes, I'd like to examine just a few of those. And and as we do, think of these as concentric circles with each successive circle representing a closer and more vulnerable relationship. And every one of these is commanded in the Word of God. So, layer number one of the onion is that we are commanded to be accountable to the church. Um, If you think that you can follow Jesus without the church, Scripture would say, not so fast. The Bible, of course, commands us to be a part of a local body and to submit ourselves in in a number of ways. We're commanded to be accountable to the leadership of the church and to the body of believers. We won't be able to spend a ton of time on this, and it probably deserves a sermon on its own. But I want to just briefly sketch out one of the main differences between going to church and being a part of church on Sunday and, say, attending a weekly Bible study. In those two scenarios, you may be doing very similar things. You may be gathered with other believers for the purpose of prayer, studying the Word, encouraging each other, maybe even singing some songs. You you might even have the same dude preaching on Sunday and leading the Bible study. And it sounds a lot like church, But the biggest difference between the two groups boils down essentially to accountability. In a Bible study group, you are not accountable to the people that are there. You are there pursuing common goals, but you're not obligated to that group. There there may be someone who's leading that Bible study, but you are not obligated to following their leadership. Because that person is not your spiritual leader, at least not in that context. But the Bible is very clear that certain men have been called to be overseers of a local church. And there's several words that are used in the Bible uh, to describe these leaders, words like overseers, elders, pastors, whatever. 
All those words are communicating the same idea. God has set up the local church to be led by pastors and has called, gifted, and commissioned them to do so. They're given the awesome responsibility of being the under-shepherd that leads a flock under the leadership of the great shepherd, Jesus. And so they bear the spiritual weight of that leadership. They, they bear the awesome responsibility of leading people. And the Bible tells us that teachers will be judged twice as harshly as anyone else. Scripture says that they have to stand before God and give an account, not only for their own lives, but also for how they led and influenced uh, other people. So, God commands leaders to lead well. But the inverse of that also is that God commands church members to be accountable to that leadership. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says it this way, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, please understand, this is not a flex, okay? I understand that uh, for a pastor to preach this verse, it comes with the risk of coming across like I'm trying to throw my weight around. But this is not me standing up here and declaring my dictatorship. You guys know that I have done that already, way earlier. <laughs> On the contrary, I want to approach this with great humility because, as we just looked at, leaders are examined very strictly. So, I have to tread very lightly. What we find is the author of Hebrews saying two things, and those two things work in conjunction with each other. God has called leaders to lead, and he's called church members to follow their leadership so long as it aligns with the truth of God's word and the leading of the Spirit. And that's vital. That's essential. I am not allowed to tell you to do anything that God didn't command first. I don't get to make up my own material. I am just a mouthpiece. That's it. And so every time I stand up here, I recognize the incredible responsibility I have to teach the word rightly. And part of teaching that word rightly is to point out that according to the design of God, believers are to be accountable to the leadership of the church. But it's not just the leadership that we're accountable to, we're also accountable to the rest of the body. Remember how it's worded in Romans, we all belong to each other. We are not our own. And so this very uncomfortable command is given in Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So we are to humbly have each other's backs. We are a platoon of soldiers, and we're to look out for each other in humility and I know the risk that comes with that kind of relationship. Many of us have been burned in the past by people in the church who are not acting like Christ at all. Many of us have been the victims of ill-spoken words or, or whispers behind our backs. But that's not what God intended for the church. That's not how he intended we are to be accountable to each other. 
It's not supposed to be about gossip or being holier than anyone else or, or, or tearing anyone down. It's actually the opposite. The command is to build each other up. And that means that if any of us are walking in sin, the leadership and the membership of the church is called to gently and lovingly call that person to repentance. This is why here at the After Church we believe in covenant membership. When a person desires to become a member of this church, they sign a covenant. And and part of that covenant states that they're giving the church the right to speak truth into their lives. It's saying, I submit myself to the leadership and to the membership of this church, giving them the right to look after me, to, to speak truth to me, to lovingly restore me should I fall into temptation. And it's also a commitment that they too are going to lovingly speak truth into the lives of other members. It is a commitment to encourage and to lift up and to love unconditionally. Committing to put others in front of yourself. What we're saying is, we're going to have each other's backs no matter what. So, first layer of the onion is that we're accountable to the church. Layer number two of this onion is we are accountable to a small group of friends. And I'm realizing that I probably have caught what my daughter has. My throat is killing me. (laughs) Uh, Layer two, we're accountable to a small group of friends. So, here's the simple fact. It is not possible to be close with everyone in a church. Especially as a church grows larger, many of the people in the congregation are only going to know each other on a surface level. It's impossible to have deep, intimate friendship with everyone. Most people are simply going to be acquaintances. That's just the way it is. No one has the time to have 50 best friends. So that is why it is important to have a group within the group. A smaller group of people who actually know you. You only have so much time in your life to invest in so many friendships And we know that deep friendships are necessary to pursue righteousness. And that, after all, is the purpose of accountability. The purpose of accountability is to pursue righteousness in community. James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayers of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This is the kind of verse that makes our skin crawl. We, we immediately throw our guard up when we read a verse like this. We read, confess our sins to one another. What does that even look like? Now, I'm assuming that no one here would think that it would be a good idea for us to have as a part of our weekly service a policy in which every week we all take turns standing in front of the church and confessing our sins from the stage. Anyone want to sign up for that? Of course not. That would be a surefire way to make sure no one ever comes back. So how are we to follow the command of James 5.16? We're to do so with a few trusted friends. With a few people within the church with whom we've built close friendship, in that context we can be vulnerable. Vulnerable. 
In that context, we can let people in. We can show them what's really going on in our lives. And and more importantly, in that context, we can put our hands on each other's shoulders and pray for one another. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another toward love and good works. If I am to stir someone up to love and good works, I'm going to have to know them well enough to know how to accomplish that. So it's vital that we link up with a few people really closely and build strong relational bridges. Layer three. This is the core of the onion. We are accountable to a partner. This is where the tears really start to flow. If you really want to increase your chances of victory in the spiritual war that we're fighting, you need a battle buddy. You need to have someone with you at every step as you mutually fight for each other. I challenged you at the very beginning of the series to pray for a battle buddy if you don't already have one. And I want to echo that once more. Proverbs 27, 17 tells us, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And do you know how iron sharpens iron? It does so with friction. This is not just having a friend who will tell you whatever you want to hear. All of us have friends who are like that. We can all probably think of someone that we can call who will take our side and affirm us no matter what. This is not that someone that we're referring to. We're referring to someone who will love us enough to address our weaknesses, tell us when we're wrong, and always be there for us when we are feeling in need. Uh, My battle buddy I've mentioned before is my friend Matt Hartman. Every day we text each other. And every week, at least once, we talk on the phone. And what's unique about this friendship is I don't think we've ever talked about the weather. That's just a surface level sort of a thing. He answers the phone, we act goofy for about 30 seconds, and then we jump right into whatever it is that we're struggling with and where we need prayer. We are completely honest with each other. Matt knows the ugliest places of my heart and, and vice versa. There's, there's nothing hidden. I can share absolutely anything with him and he'll take what I say, he'll listen with utmost care and then he'll preach the gospel to me and then he'll pray over me with love and, and vice versa. I cannot imagine where I would be without his friendship. I, I certainly wouldn't be where I am now. Earlier in the chapter... Uh, Solomon says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. And there have been so many times that Matt has openly rebuked me. Dude, you know better than that. Dude, you know that that's not true. Dude, don't make excuses. You need to address this. And if I didn't have that, I would be sorely missing out on so much that God has to offer. Now, there's something else that I need to point out about good accountability. Good accountability is not just about being a cheerleader. The purpose of accountability is not to just motivate us to do better. The purpose is to expose sin so that it can be laid at the feet of the cross and then to pray for and with each other. 
And, and it would be easy to think of, uh, uh, of something like, well, I don't want to let my partner down and use that as, as motivation to do better. But that kind of motivation won't last. It's built on pride. It's built on our own effort. It won't be strong enough to defeat sin. More importantly, your, your accountability partner is not the person that you should be thinking about letting down. We're first accountable to God. And our accountability partner should be pointing us to consider Jesus first. Um, as kind of a funny story about this, uh, I went to a Christian college and uh, on our dorms we had sort of a, a, a hierarchy of leadership and uh, we had prayer groups that we were all a part of and there were some accountability relationships that were set up. And the thing about it was in that time in our lives, um, we were not that mature. Shocker, college guys not being very mature. So our idea of what accountability was supposed to look like was a little bit flawed. Um, If one of us admitted to some type of a failure, there would be a punishment. Um, There were a number of failures that, that we had talked about. We sort of set up a system that qualified as being a thumbs down. And so if one of us admitted I, was, I, I had a thumbs down week. What would happen then is the person that they would uh, admit this to would punch them in the stomach. Hey, I, I, I had a thumbs down. And so the other person would be like, you know, you got to do better than that. All right. Here we go. Boom. And you get a punch in the gut. Yes, it was very stupid. I agree with you. The idea was no one wants to get punched in the stomach, so that would motivate you to do better, right? Wrong. What it motivated us to do was lie. <laughs> hey, man, how was your week? Uh, it was good. Yeah, 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 I was good this week. Uh, I don't need any punches. We didn't realize that our our so-called accountability was nothing more than just a system of reward and punishment, entirely built on human effort, on fear, and on pride, and it's a wonder why it didn't work. Healthy accountability is not just about counting successes and failures. We shouldn't just list off ways that we've been good, like we're checking items off a checklist, like we talked about last week. We shouldn't be saying these are the five bad things that I did as if we're just attending confession. The purpose is not to just list good versus bad actions. Good accountability is about examining your heart and your habits. Good accountability helps us examine whether or not we are chasing after Christ And whether we are doing the things that we need to do in order to accomplish that. So, here is the third specific challenge of the series so far. The the third discipline. We have scripture before phone. We have kneeling prayer thrice daily. And number three here we have, have at least one weekly conversation with a battle buddy about your heart and your habits. Have at least one weekly conversation with a battle buddy about your heart and your habits. Obviously, there's some layers to that, too. First, if you don't have a battle buddy, that's where you need to start. Pray that God will lead you to the right person who's willing to go to war alongside you. 
And then you commit to each other. Commit to having each other's backs and fight alongside one another. Specifically, I also want to say here that there is a difference between someone that you are accountable to and someone who is holding you accountable. And here's what I mean. Um, Many of us in this room are married. Uh, Our spouse is someone that we are accountable to. Our sins affect our spouses. So we're accountable to our spouses. But your, your spouse should not be your accountability partner. Certainly it is true that we are there for each other more than anyone else. However, an accountability relationship, a battle buddy relationship, works best in a same gender relationship where you have two guys or two girls because they completely understand one another and the struggles that they have. They can be completely honest and open and not have any, any of the, the baggage that comes uh, with a marriage relationship in that particular context. I can call Matt and absolutely say anything. And he will listen and understand and we pray together. There are conversations that I have with Matt that probably wouldn't be very good if I had with Allison. And vice versa. There are conversations that Allison has with her close female friends that are best in that context. And so finding that battle buddy Part of that is having someone of the same gender that you can fight alongside. Once you have that person, then you have to commit to being consistent. Matt and I text every single day, but it's it's usually not that long. It's just a a quick check-in. Hey man, how you doing? Anything we need to chat about? Any, Any way that I need to pray for you? Typically our conversation over text doesn't last all that long. But then we'll actually have a conversation that goes in depth every week. It's not the same day every week. It's organic, as it should be. When we need to talk, we talk. But most importantly, we don't just talk. We don't just word vomit and then hang up. We encourage one another in the Lord. And before we hang up, we pray. That is the most vital piece of all of this. We pray together. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit and the only way to access that power being through prayer. So if your accountability is missing prayer, it's not really accountability. It's just a venting session. And there is a time and a place for venting. But accountability is more than just venting. Accountability has to have prayer, encouragement, and admonishment. That is when you see the Spirit move. So I want to close today by showing you a picture of what the church is supposed to look like. This uh, picture here is a picture of the Roman testudo formation. The Roman army in the ancient world, had this formation called the testudo formation, otherwise known as the tortoise. As you can see, each of the soldiers in this formation has their shield in a particular place. When they work in unison, their shields not only protect themselves, they protect the entire unit. The entire unit is protected from enemy arrows in a way that no single individual 
ever could be. That is how the church ought to function. We are in a spiritual war and we need each other's shields. We need to walk in testudo formation using the shield of faith to protect one another. If we fail to do that, we're just going to function like every man for himself. And I guarantee that that is a great way to lose. When I have to stand before God and give an account for how I led, I don't want to have to answer for that. So I urge you, I admonish you, dare say I command you, follow the clear message of Scripture and battle buddy up. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you for encouraging us to unite with you and to unite with each other. God, I pray for each one of us, Lord, that if there are any who don't have a battle buddy, Lord, that you would help us to find that person, that you would bring the right person along, that you would make clear to us how to pursue that. And uh, Lord, I I pray that um, each one of us would commit to being accountable to you, to the church, to a small group of friends, and to a battle buddy to do war with. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Josh, if you'd play the, the closing song for us.